Oh, here we go. This is going to be a good one. I'm so excited. I can feel it. I can feel how good it's going to be. Phrasing. Hey, this is episode 122 of Future Chat. We're back again with another week of the very best in science and tech and apparently probably some politics, which uh, I've, to- I've warned these guys that they're in for a doozy of an episode. I don't think they necessarily believe me, but I think it's going to be good. Anyways, uh, there's one piece of follow-up here. I wanted to talk a bit more about uh, following up from last week's follow-up, which is the fact that my hard drive crashed a few weeks ago. Um, I had Backblaze, and so I've been going through the process of restoring all those files. I didn't want to go through and order a hard drive from them because it was going to be expensive to have it shipped to Canada. They, they're they apparently very good in the States. like It's basically 5 or 10 bucks to do return shipping. But paying customs or duty or whatever, like it's it's such a black box doing uh, doing cross border stuff that isn't kind of facilitated, and I didn't want to have to deal with that. And so I am now officially. I just finished like an hour or two before this uh, episode. I finished the third of four large chunks of files. Uh, it turns out like I was I railed on them pretty hard last week. I felt maybe a little bit unfairly. Um, but it was mostly because it was very opaque how much you could tra- how much you could restore from one of their backups in a given attempt. So it would let you select files to create a big zip file, and then you download the zip file and unzip it. And the only problem was that it didn't say that there was a 500 gigabyte limit. So I was basically arbitrarily selecting files, trying to stay under some limit that I didn't know, and I ended up setting up a zip file that was only like 128 gigabytes and that worked. And I was like, okay, well there's a lower bound for what works. And then like stepped it up, stepped it up. And then I eventually contacted support and they told me that there was a 500 gigabyte limit. Once I knew that I had a 500 gigabyte limit and I knew that my drive was only two terabytes. I was like, okay, I can do this in four chunks. That's fine. Uh, so I've downloaded the third of four chunks. Uh, I did have an issue. I was mentioning to you guys a couple days ago that Basically, since this 500 gigabyte chunk takes about 36 to 48 hours to download, if it fails, that's pretty terrible. Like if, if the download fails at the very beginning, that's fine. But if it fails at the end, that's horrible. <laughs> and I had the third one fail when I was trying to use their, they have a Backblaze downloader utility I was mentioning. Uh, the first two times it worked fine. The third time it just gave me what it called a special error at the very end of the 48 hours. This is a special and error just, from Backblaze. <laughs> it generated a three and a half gigabyte um, zip file that wasn't actually a zip file. Like when I tried to unzip it, it just said, this isn't a zip file. And so I, that was like two days wasted. Uh, it's now, I, I ended up just using Chrome to download the third piece again. And it worked relatively well. It's It's a little annoying, like I mentioned, that you can just hit download from the download uh the backblaze downloader there's no pause button there's no anything to control the download with chrome at least if i wanted to do something i I made sure not to kind of touch the internet or mess with anything because i didn't want the download to get corrupted in any way um but you can with chrome and with i believe other things you can pause downloads and so i i did try pausing and unpausing as proof of concept in case i needed to do that and it worked fine uh so i have one more chunk to go presumably once we're done recording, I'll start uh, downloading that. But yeah, uh, the process has been a lot better now that I actually know that I can do it in four chunk, four, four, 500 gigabyte chunks. 
as opposed to just arbitrarily guessing how much, how big I can make the, the thing. And so I think considering that information, it is worth the money because there's no real easy way to do, um, to do like backups offsite. And this is relatively inexpensive. And the alternative we talked about with Google Drive, like, yes, um, that would be better to have a sync folder and just be able to sync everything back to a folder, like, like the way Google Drive and OneDrive and all those backup systems do. But this is about 10 times cheaper and it does save bandwidth if you're not constantly doing that both sides. So I get it, although I would be interested to know if that's something they're considering pursuing in the future. Anyways, um, that's my follow-up. So if there's anything critical you needed, you could still do a file-by-file download through the browser, right? Yep. Okay. Because I'm just trying to figure out, say if you have like a business that relies on their files all being there, say if it's like Mm -hmm. client data or something. Yeah. You probably wouldn't want to go with Backblaze. You you would want to back your stuff up locally and back it up offsite. But the, because, the whole point of the offsite is if there's like a flood or fire that kind of yeah, thing, then like a power surge, anything whatever can destroy, yeah. yeah. Then your your data is still safe. So because mm-hmm. if yeah, if you're saying like you can literally waste two days, then that's sometimes not an option for, for people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that time is money, right? And so I have that. I would rather spend the time than spend the money because I don't have to actually be at the computer and getting the files back is not as urgent as it would be for a business. Right. So I was able to spend that time, but like their, their backplay system, it's like, it's $99 for a drive. Uh, and they give you a drive that's big enough to hold all your files. And it might be 129. I forget the exact price, but I didn't, I didn't go with that. But they will like overnight you the drive and you can decide like you can also just opt to keep the drive and then that's at that point they'll charge you. But if you send the drive back to them within 30 days after getting your stuff off it, they'll just refund you the cost of the drive and you'll only, you only have to pay shipping one way. Right. So it's that is a good system and I'm sure a lot of people opt to just keep the drive. Right. But uh, yeah, they'll, they'll overnight it. So if, if speed is an issue, then that's definitely the way to go. Yeah. Have you looked into like shared server offsite backups like locally like in ottawa yeah like i know like a lot of it companies will run like shared server systems where they host files and backups and stuff for clients so it's not a dedicated server for your own your own system but it's you're partitioning the drive into however many pieces to back up whoever's data like so it's it's literally what backblaze does like there's yeah. i'm assuming it's not dedicated server it's a shared server system uh they have dedicated server banks backblaze does as an option or for every person that doesn't oh sound- no i mean it. i sorry I, I i confused your question i meant maybe i'm using the wrong terminology they, but what that's I, how they run their servers yeah the, the, what i meant was one server for each customer or if right. multiple yeah, no. customers use the same server to be used to back up their their data for they all well they all use the same yeah bank of servers right yeah, yeah. so that's what i'm saying so other it companies like locally will have the same thing for small businesses and whatnot right, right? so you don't have to do an online service like backblaze or you can just it, call yeah. up xyz it and they'll back up your data for you like yeah not using kind of a slick of a system but it it serves mm. the same purpose. So I don't know what the price comparison would be for that. I'm sure it's... I'm sure it's more. More, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't know if you can find enough... Like, I don't know if you can, like, sublet server space. Like, if you find someone who, 
would let you use their server to back up your data. I don't know. It's it's a lot more complicated than what you need because yours is more just a matter of convenience versus necessity. Yeah. Like again, if if you're a small business, you might look at more practical solutions that would allow you to kind of get your data back in a reasonable amount of time versus having to kind of fumble through this haze of yeah uncertainty and <laughs> kind of ambiguity with with what's allowed and what's not. Yeah. It it's good. Like I I do have a dedicated well dedicated is is a strong word, but I have a a server in Toronto through a company called DigitalOcean that I use to run my WordPress blog. So in theory, I think if I wanted to ramp that up, like it's five bucks a month, I think I could ramp it up to add more and then I could set up some kind of running backup on it. But I don't really have an interest in right. going like that's that seems insanely complicated. Right. And that in particular wouldn't necessarily solve my problem or make it any easier right. anyways, because it's still Toronto. It's still yeah, it's still a fair distance away. It's not like I could drive over and grab a backup drive. Yeah. I mean, you could. <laughs> yeah, I definitely could. Just, it just wouldn't be any more. Four seventeen to the four sixteen, four sixteen to the four oh one, and there you go. <laughs> yep, S- sit in traffic there. for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. An hour. Here's, like here's the what dead you do. Of night. <laughs> you aim to get to Toronto around three a.m. Because when mm-hmm. I was doing twenty uh, four hour shift work, I noticed that was the best time to be driving. Because the people that stay up really late have gone to bed, and the people that get up at four aren't awake yet. Yep. 3 a.m. That's when you do it. <laughs> it's perfect. There you go. Yeah. So I've sweetened a little bit to Backblaze. I'm still going to keep backing up to them. Once this is all done, uh, all, oh yeah, I, sh- I guess I should mention, I also, when I reached out to support, I was confused because there was a very ar- it was very arbitrary when my data would suddenly be gone. Uh, if I just kept, left the drive unplugged in the unplugged state, which is where it was, uh, and didn't do anything and just kept backing up the main drive. And it turns out if you just keep backing up, it keeps a 30 day archive of your, um, all the drives that it has. But she and the, the woman on the support, uh, informed me that if I pause backups, that it'll hold the last 30 days worth of them. And so I've paused while I get all the, I don't think I'm, I'm only like 22 days. I think I've still have lots of time, but, um, you can pause the backup. So like, I'm not, I have an old, slightly out of date copy of my C drive, but my D drive is now saved as long as I'm paying for the service until I get all the files off and then I can restart it and then it'll get the C drive up to date and it'll start backing up my other drives. So is is the idea that they don't want just old files sitting there taking up space yeah yeah that's the idea because in theory it's very ripe for abuse if you can just arbitrarily save files of forever right just because you're paying for like because they do it with it's five dollars per computer uh you don't have any kind of there's no incentive to not back everything up so if you don't have a drive connected but you're still backing up through their service Mm -hmm. then it it, it's meant for the files that you use every day. It's not meant as a like permanent store for everything. It's just, right. it's too cheap for that. Right. Did I tell you guys that I started running Windows backup Ugh. onto an external drive? Like <laughs> Why? <laughs> well, because I, I don't have any backup system in place to begin with. So okay. I was like, well, this is better than nothing. Okay. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wasn't wanting to jump into the Backblaze boat especially right. after hearing your woes with it not that that affected one way or the other yeah. but it's just it didn't give me any yeah. more reason to do it um but i was like well i have this spare external drive because i originally bought an external drive to 
act as a uh, a hard drive for a DVR, like for our security system. Yeah. Um, but because it was like a portable one, it wasn't really suited to be constantly running. Sure. Versus like one of those large kind of fanned plug-in ones. So I uh, I upgraded to a a larger one that is powered versus a one in that runs on the kind of supplementary power from whatever's right. plugged into because that kind of strains the DVR that we have. Yeah. Um. Anyway, long story longer. We're we're using that and uh, and but we're already running Google Drive as well. Like any files that I want to have important accessible, that I'll just save in my Google Drive folder. Right. So w- what I started doing now is. Unless it's like work related where people are just used to sending back and forth attachments, which I think is horrible, but it's just what people do. I can't believe that still happens. <laughs> um, if it's non work related, I'll just send like Google Drive links. I, yeah. I've even done that with when I'm talking with customer support with whoever. Right. I'll like, and they ask for screenshots. I'll send a Google Drive link to the screenshot. I, I don't attach screenshots. Yeah, because I feel for my own benefit, if I get myself used to doing it, it'll just be normal for me. Yeah. And if I do that for other people, they'll either say, "Hey, this is cool. I didn't know you could do that," or they'll just get used to doing it. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. moving people to Slack. It's like you just you if if that's all you do, then that's their only option, kind of yeah. thing, right? Sorry, Nick. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Nick. No. Does he Nick? <laughs> see that. Nick's come around to Slack though. Have I? I don't have think I he really? has. He I don't has. Think so. He uses all the different channels. <laughs> That doesn't mean I like it. Yeah, I don't think he likes <laughs> I it. I didn't say he likes it. I said he uses it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is accurate. That is an incredibly accurate statement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I um, I was reading on Reddit the other day, and it reminded when you when you mentioned Google Drive and sending attachments, I was reading a horror story about someone who had been filling, making cover letters and then emailing them through Google Drive to potential employers and he it turns out he was just using the same document and oh then yeah making changes and then sending it to another company so he just sent like all all 10 companies this one document that he was constantly changing yeah i think i remember um, reading that too yeah i like know your know your software and i definitely like when i send cover letters i do it through google drive but i always make a new copy yeah also i like i want to have copies of all the different cover letters i've sent just so that i have like reference material for future ones but yeah i don't know about you guys and this is even more off topic than we already are or on a tangent anyway um when i send like any sort of document like i hate sending word documents like i always print to pdf first and then send that because to me if i send a word document unless it's like password protected but even then it's you can just save a new copy of it like it can very easily be changed not necessarily nefariously but just inadvertently or whatever it's like Mm -hmm. i don't want to send a dynamic document i want to send this is what i wrote this is for you to read you don't need to do anything else with it and for me the most straightforward way of doing that is printing to pdf but i get it's published yeah i get word documents sent to me all the time it's like Like, unless there's, like, macros or something that are functioning in there that are necessary to use, it's, like, just print it to PDF and send it to me. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. Especially send, like, a resume where there's details in it that you don't want accidentally or purposefully changed. Again, I don't see why someone Mm -hmm. would, but... I can imagine a scenario, but not a reasonable one. Yeah, but it's, like, just print to PDF. And I don't know if people just don't know that you can do that or don't understand the significance of printing to PDF, so it's, like, concrete. Right. But I don't know. I... I can think of a couple of reasons why people don't 
do that. I mean, first of all, it's kind of obscure the fact that Word, the I mean, or whatever document holder you have, uh, document yeah. writer you have, they can all like if you go into the Save As menu, you can just pick PDF. Mm-hmm. You don't actually need a PDF print driver sure. or whatever. Right. Um, there's also the fact that not everyone has a copy, especially now, like as we are becoming like going from university age students to like kind of working age professionals, not everyone has word, but everyone like all operating systems oh, have yeah. the ability to read PDFs. That's the other thing I was going to say, cause Maria uses like word processors in her work and she'll mm-hmm. send stuff to me sometimes to look at or whatever, but she'll send as like a pages document. I'm like, yeah. I can't open that. Yeah. And so it's like, just save it to PDF or she'll have to convert it to a docx or whatever. But right. yeah, yeah, you print a PDF and it's a universal, essentially yeah. universal standard at this it, point. It's not even universal standard. Necess- I mean, it may, may be or may not be because it, like it is owned by Adobe. I th- I'm pretty sure it's, the yeah. PDF format, but, but it is crop, crop pl- cross yeah. platform. Every platform has the ability to read yeah. PDFs. Like I think the PDF extension is fairly... I want to say open source, but I don't think that's the right word. Yeah. But there, there's third-party PDF reader and writers. Right. And I, I think they're legitimate. Like, I don't think it's like they're ripping off Adobe's right. IP. Like, I, I think yeah. they either licensed it or it's an open standard that you can integrate into your right. your software. Like, same with JPEG or whatever, right? Like, yeah. it's not a proprietary exclusive extension anymore. Right. If it ever was. I don't know about JPEG, but that kind of thing, right? So. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Whole other discussion. So, I put a link in here, and I, I'm not probably going to put this in the notes, but you can go find it if you want, because I don't really want to link to Breitbart. Um, but this this story that I posted, I'm not a white nationalist. Don't worry, I'm not uh, anything like that. Is it, Breitbart this, like Daily Mail? Is it kind of the same thing? No, it's worse. Okay. <laughs> um, Breitbart is a news organization that is associated very strongly with a lot of very bad viewpoints like a lot of very outdated viewpoints uh like more alt than alt right just yeah all of it is yeah i don't i i hate the term alt right because it kind of legitimizes what their viewpoints are but uh the the headline of this story this thing that i looked up uh from breitbart is called 12 fake news stories from the mainstream media and it just made me think like i've been thinking this entire election cycle about um how how many people read, watch, listen to news that is completely made up? Like people have been saying we shouldn't use the term fake news because that is just like lying in print or video or whatever media. And so the, the problem with this particular piece, which again, like I said, I'm not going to link to, is that they they equate fake news as a th- Thing where like you can just t- invent a premise write a story around it with very bad or no sourcing and then publish it to somebody lying or some kind of scandal being reported on and like one of the exa- one of the fake news stories they talk about from the mainstream media is the the whole brian williams thing a couple years ago where he was he lied about how he was, was on involved the helicopter. in some kind of yeah yeah he was in a helicopter that was like shot at or something I, yeah. I don't remember he was the involved details. in crossfire but it was actually like 45 minutes or an hour behind the crossfire so he was only right. like hearing about it yeah as a whole so yeah there it's equating that which is really the the media is what eventually brought that story to light and it was just 
I understand the compulsion to want to make a story seem more interesting than it is. And I would also be terrified for my life if, if it was just a matter of like an hour that I was possibly caught up in gunfire. Obviously, like as a journalist, you, if you're embellishing facts like that, it's not really ethically or morally great, but it's very different than saying that there's some kind of like murder squad that Hillary Clinton and her family have hired to like take out anybody who wants to talk badly about her. Like there's just no evidence whatsoever for any of that. And to equate the two kinds of things and call them both fake news is just completely like it's, it's just a completely false dichotomy, false equivalence, whatever you want to call it. And so this, this whole fake news thing has percolated through culture and Facebook have now said they're going to be taking a stand against fake news. Uh, Google has said that their advertisers are no longer going to advertise uh, or allow fake news sites to advertise through Google AdSense. So that's one source of revenue dried up. Um, the, the very site we're talking about, Breitbart, had one of their ad partners, like one of their ad networks, say they're going to stop paying them. Uh, so I think it's kind of we're really seeing what the fallout from this election cycle is, how bad the reporting was. But it's not just sites like Breitbart. There was a lot of inaccurate reporting from all over the place just because it that kind of reporting, the kind of sensationalist stories that they ended up printing make a lot of money because people read them and people want to keep like reading one news story about something makes you want to read five other news stories about something. And it's just a self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah. So just to kind of back up to the beginning, we're talking like the Brian Williams was almost like a newception because mm-hmm. it started out as Brian Williams giving the quote unquote fake news. Yeah. And then other media outlets reported on that. So, well, so are it, we talking about the fake news being that the story turned out to be false or Brian Williams original story of how he embellished fabricated, whatever you want to call it, his own experience in that event. It's his. And that's the thing is that it's, it's not even really fake news from my understanding of the story based on what was the conversation that was happening at the time with Brian Williams. It wasn't that he was reporting that there was, that he was caught in a firefight or anything. It was that when he told the story later, Right. He indicated that he was he had been caught up in some kind right. of firefight. Yeah, when and he was that on like turned these, out not to be true. When he was on these talk shows and stuff, right? Yeah. And like in the, that moment being asked about his experience. Yeah, it wasn't even the original reporting, right? He wasn't actually right. reporting that it had right. happened. He was just recounting embellishing the story right. later on. Right. Which several like high profile people have right. been accused or been shown to have been doing. Right. It's not unheard of to have that happen, but it's definitely not it's not like he was reporting on these things as though they were real right he was telling a story later yeah and like i know like again I'll, breitbart sounds similar to daily mail i think it's daily mail is the kind of notorious just bad journalistic integrity site mm-hmm. like they'll they kind of go both ways like I, I think they have quality news but they also have garbage news sure um but from what i've read on a lot of these kind of expose type articles or whatever you want to call them um, where they talk to people who have slash do work there. There's a lot of pressure on generating clicks and content and headlines Yeah, that whether they're true or not, kind of, or it's like, like you were saying, you know, it's like just embellish it a bit to get those, those clicks and those views. Right. Um, so I can imagine like, say in Brian Williams case, if the original reporting was embellished, 
it could have been one of his managers. I don't know, maybe he is a manager, but it's someone in his position where he's trying to tell the story and they say, so how far behind the gunfire were you? Oh, you know, about an hour. It's like, well, that's basically in the gunfire, isn't it? You know, and then, and trying maybe. to encourage them to like make the story more dramatic than it is. Like this might not be a good example for that, but I'm sure there's other cases yeah. where it's like, well, push it to the limit as far as embellishing goes without, yeah. you know, literally straight up lying, but you're mm-hmm. just embellishing a little bit or a yeah. lot. I don't think, yeah, that might not be the best story for that. It may be, but I think it's more that newsrooms have created a culture where that's the default is to embellish, to make it the most sensational story it can possibly be, even if it means bending the facts a little bit. Yeah. And that's basically how clickbait was invented, was just trying to come up with new ways to get people to click on and read Mm -hmm. this article, where by the end, it's like, this is ridiculous. Like, why did I even read this? But by then, it's too late. Like, they've already generated their ad revenue, so they don't care. Yeah. So, to summarize this, I don't Nick, did you have something that you wanted to add? Oh, I think that, um, like, it's difficult to talk about fake news without proper uh, nomenclature which is mm-hmm. almost always what I say whenever I start talking about a new issue because <laughs> there's, yeah. there's fake news, like blatant fake news. Like when Obamacare started out and they said that there was, there were going to be death squads, like figuring out yeah. who to kill and who to let live. And that's just, yep. that's just not a thing that's going to happen. That's not true. Right. There's fake news a la the Beaverton or something like that where it's kind or uh, like satire or parody yeah news. or even yeah like i'd say stephen colbert ish in that yeah right he well, was his colbert rapport for sure well, yeah the rapport like uh where yeah you know you're satirizing the view from a certain political point of view mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. there's like this is that where they just blatantly concoct news that's going to be entertaining well yeah, I suppose that's also a la Ottawa. What the the big difference that I see between satire and even if it's bad satire between that and fake news is that we're we say right up front we are trying to entertain you, make you laugh a little bit. We don't want, like if you believe this, we are very quick to be like, yeah, we're either not going to comment or we're going to say um, this is completely made up. Um, we, we say that on our site, like right at the top, mm. it says, this is satirical. Like it's a fun look at Ottawa. It's things that you think you, you'd like think would be true, but are just mm-hmm. more humorous. Whereas fake news sites will, will say, if you question them, be like, yeah, absolutely. This is true. And they're, they're usually doing it for either financial or political or some kind of gain. And we're kind of just doing it to have a little bit of fun and kind of tease. You're having a laugh. Themselves too You're seriously. just having a laugh, aren't you, Rob? Exactly. And there have been times where we've taken that maybe a step further than we should or would have if we were repeating ourselves. But I think in those cases, in the, the stories that have kind of gone viral, they're either kind of just poking a very kind of in vogue political issue or social issue whatever or they're just kind of things that are too close to being true almost and at that point you kind of blur the line between just completely making something up to get people to click on it versus there being an actual satire and in the case of one of the stories we talked about an abandoned subway being found uh 
it was like this this sounds like it could be real and it makes you want to click on it but then when you realize it's satire um the, the thing the point we were trying to make is like oh of course it's ottawa so of course there's this like hidden network that nobody knew about underground um that had been like completely forgotten about and of course now they're wasting taxpayers money building this new subway system and they've already got one down there that was the angle we were trying to come up with but i think it came a little too close to reality there was also the fact that the image we took uh that we used for the story was from an actual abandoned subway system in los angeles i think it was and so a lot of people just pointed out this is this is actually from los angeles as though like that delegitimizes the fact that we wrote this thing and yeah, there's a lot that went in, but that was one of the more kind of viral networking ones. And it is one of the ones that we might not do something like that again, just because it's too close to reality. Now, when you guys write your stories, at least in my experience with the ones I've read, usually, like, even from the headline, you might not be able to tell it's satire. Like, sometimes, sometimes you can, sometimes not. But yeah. either way, when you read the story, there's always at least one thing in there that's like, oh, okay, I see this yeah. is like a joke, right? If, if, if you actually read it. Yeah, if you read yes. it, right? So there might be like a quote from J- Jimmy Bobberton that says something yeah. stupid or whatever, right? And it's like, yeah. oh, that doesn't sound right. And then you kind of look into it further, oh, it's fake. Like, But there's yeah. just something in there that at least should clue the reader in that it's a satire piece. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can't remember, I think it was leonardo dicaprio there was some leonardo dicaprio satire story a year or two ago that went viral that was fake it was like yeah. about vacationing in calgary or something i can't remember what it was yeah yeah, yeah. or moving to calgary or something I and it was that. like and nothing in there was written as if it was satire it was just flat out fake yeah but it's like that's just bad that's satire. just a lie that's just a lie that's just yeah like i get that they're trying to trick people but it's like that's not good satire that's just making up a story mm-hmm. so and then you have something like the Colbert Report where they're real stories, but the take on it is satire. Right. Well, like it. Yeah. Like the tone and just the way it's presented is humorous versus yeah. something like Fox or even more extreme sites or news organizations that have literally the same view, but they present it seriously. I like that yeah. you say, you know, like Fox. In that, you know, they're already starting to go off the deep end, but there's more extreme things than Fox oh, News. Oh, no, that, that's what I mean. Like, I that, I didn't want to make Fox seem like they're the worst because they're not. There's there's some parts and some segments and shows that are especially bad. There's some that are fine, but mm-hmm. there's some that are just crazy cuckoo and that but they're, just, they're being completely serious. Yeah. Since the, the kind of middle of this election cycle, when Roger Ailes was let go from Fox for... Um, Reports, at least, I think, I don't know if they've been, like, confirmed in a court or anything, but con- reports of sexual harassment, he was kind of released from his duties. Fox News has basically become the the most trusted conservative news organization because he, A, because he's no longer there and because Donald Trump and his whole organization have fallen out of favor with them. So they're kind of picking up have the they? slack. I've been paying attention lately. I mean, they may not be great. There's, they may still be have a conservative bias, for instance, but they've gotten a lot better. Like Megyn Kelly has gone, I mean, and this is again some people. Megyn Kelly has gone like and done really good reporting on him because he was like calling her out and being horribly sexist towards her. 
Um, but there are people like Sean Hannity that I believe also still works for Fox, but he's like a Trump mouthpiece. So it's like, it's not the entire organization that's completely turned everything around, but I think there are people there that are at least cooling towards the kind of fringe conservatism and going more towards a reasonable conservatism. And, and maybe that's just the fact that like conservatism in general, it seems to have taken a crazy leap off the deep end that Fox news can seem can legitimate. Maybe they haven't changed at all. And every, this entire spectrum is just moving. Right. But that's, that's how it feels. To I me. want to jump in quickly and say that there are reasonable conservatives. I oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Cause I feel like you're painting with a slightly, a slightly broader brush than necessary though. I think I, there's I like, think so. there's elements like the tea party and the alt right, which are actually right. just a bunch of very, very strange people. Or like, honestly, the Wild Rose in Alberta, it's mm. a lot of just very upset people, I think. And that's why they can't manage yeah. to hold yeah. on to a leader for their party for more than about a year or so. Because they just, they get upset and yeah. they turf people. It's just what happens. But, uh, yeah, so I think, but there are like reasonable conservatives out there. Yeah. yeah. So, well, uh, tie, tying yeah. this back to technology... Um, because I yeah. think it is an interesting take on it. Not that this isn't good discussion, but I think it's a little mm. bit more political. Um, political science, right? <laughs> the best kind of science. Um, <laughs> so as far as social media is concerned, because I don't think any of this would be an issue unless they didn't have social media as the media to spread this kind of news. And the proverbial echo chambers that we all exist in only reinforce those views, yeah. good or bad. So, and I guess that's why Facebook, I, I don't know to what I, I've, again, I've only heard kind of the rumblings of this, but Facebook banning fake news or moderating it more tightly. I, I don't, or no, they're removing fake news from their trending, right? Trending bar or whatever it was, right? I yeah. think that's what it was. They're not banning fake news, but they're taking it off of their, their yeah. trending links or whatever kind of feature that they have. Yeah. But that's kind of just shows the power of social media because yeah. it only takes one person to share a story. Again, you've seen that with Ottawa what as, you know, yeah. very kind of personal example that you share one, whether it's ironically or non-ironically saying, hey, check out this story. And then people who read it and because it's coming from someone, you know, like a friend or a family member, mm -hmm. you just kind of inherently trust, even subconsciously trust that. And that's how it spreads. And it goes from person to person that way. And it's just gets out of hand whereas yeah. if someone walked up onto the street or walked up to you on the street and just told you the same thing whether it's crazy or not it's like well, that was kind of weird like and you don't really think anything of it but if someone you know starts telling you about something it's like you start thinking about it and taking it as legitimate yeah and and i think that's good the good and bad thing about social media is the power that it has but it's unfortunate when that power is put towards something that's not great the other factor yeah. at play there is that you are more likely to suspend your disbelief if it's something you're inclined to believe in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. well, of course they, Hillary has a hit squad. Of course she does. That's just, <laughs> that's such that, that's spot on such a thing she would do. Yeah. If you're coming from that yeah. opinion, it's like, yeah. she used her own email. What? Like, why couldn't she do this? She's horrible to begin with. How dare she? I, I do think, like, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the think pieces that have come out about her and about journalism and reporting since the election. 
Well, think pieces but in general. Why would you cr- pay attention? Well, I like some. I like some of them. Some of them are very reasonable. The ones that take like any one where you can write a think piece and then write a equally valid think piece from the exact opposite position and have it sound just as real. Like there's no real reason for that pair of like they cancel each other out. They're like quantum particles. They just burst forth into existence, an opposite pair, and then they could just disappear immediately. I'm going to write a satirical um, think piece on one way streets. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah that's what's gonna happen yeah the i have had facebook and what i'm going to call fake news already cause a actual rift at least one actual rift in my family just because i wouldn't call it a rift but i'm not even talking about that oh. one there's at least one there's one okay. other one um and it's like it's at the point where people trust things that are posted on facebook more than they trust even just having a conversation with people that are in their family and it it it's very odd for me looking at social media because when you go to facebook you see a thing about death panels death squads from obamacare right next to a thing about i don't know like bombings in syria they show up the same regardless of the source anything because because of the way uh facebook how how their algorithm works because of how their um, knowledge graph works something from any site no matter the source looks exactly the same it all looks Mm -hmm. it's all presented legitimately right and it's not like if you go get a newspaper you're not going to see some crazy story because there are editors for the newspaper but there's no editor for your like there's no editor to vet stories on your newsfeed it's just whoever posts what that you're connected to that's kind of what the trending news was supposed to be though right was kind of like an editor's kind of like vetted top stories in theory but then you have the fact that facebook wants to make money and Mm -hmm. it wants the sites that are popular or the pages that are popular on it to make money as well so you are incentivized by by money as opposed to actually being a journalist and telling mm-hmm. a real story it this is something that uh came around and i think i saw t- someone tweet about it too and i was like oh i've been thinking about this too this week remember when the internet first came out i, I actually started writing a-, a blog post about this that hopefully will be done in the next week or so um in the early days of the internet you didn't really believe anything but if you googled enough if you searched Google for an issue, you could look through enough stories that you would get kind of a, at least you could convince yourself that if you looked at like 10 or 12 different sources, that you had the f- complete picture of a story. Now, if you go, if you go to look up the legitimacy of a story, if you just go on Facebook, you will see one version of a thing and you'll go, Oh, that's the, that's the thing. But you never, like I have started again when I see, uh, hear about something, like I hear, Oh, the election results are being contested. Uh, in a couple of states, I immediately go and I Google like election uh, recount possibility, realism, whatever. Like I put a bunch of keywords together to try to go through and actually get a complete version of the story That's instead of just relying. That's not an effective relying, way of Googling, by the way. Throwing keywords yeah. up? Yeah. That, that was just a, that was a, just a bad example. Um, that's, <laughs> I, I think I looked up like election fraud 2016 or something. Okay. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't literally just throwing keywords up, like that, <laughs> that kind of idea. Um, and it gives you a much better sense of, 
what's real, but people don't like people are busy. Admittedly, people have a lot going on there. They can't necessarily go and do that research. But I think because it doesn't take any vetting, like we talked during about the satire thing. If you read the headline, you might think, oh man, this is crazy. But then if you go read the story, either the sourcing is terrible or it, it just sounds, something sounds wrong about it. Something sounds off, but nobody reads the entire thing anymore. Um, Farhad Manju wrote a piece for the New York, he's the New York times right now. Uh, he wrote his Washington column post. Uh, it's definitely not the Washington post. Oh, okay. uh, anyways, wherever he is, he, he wrote, he wrote his column, uh, about kind of fake news and not reading the entire piece. And he made it super long on purpose. As soon as I oh, no, saw he's Wall Street he journal, that, isn't he? Maybe. I think it's Wall Street I, Journal. I thought it was the New York Times. Anyways, uh, you might be right. Yeah. It definitely wasn't the Post. I knew it had a W in it. I think Wall Street <laughs> Journal. Anyway, okay. Continue. He made it long um, on purpose. He made it long on purpose. I know he did because I was like, first of all, it was almost like he was trying to reverse psychology people, in like people who, like me who would s- skim something if they weren't that interested by saying, you're not going to finish this. Immediately, I was like, this is almost clickbait. I'm not going to read this, but I probably should read this. It, it ended up, it, it's like super long. Every time you think it's going to end, like I, I scrolled down to the bottom and it it's like this incredibly long piece on how we don't read incredibly long pieces anymore. We'll just try to summarize it or like skim through. It, it is true, but it's difficult to fight that because our attention span is so limited now. Yeah. What I don't like about looking up and trying to cross-reference news articles now is that Again, the environment of the internet encourages people to get clicks yep. for the minimal amount of effort. Like it's quantity over quality right now. Yep. And anytime I look up a news story, it's like 20 sites who post the exact same story, like yeah. word for word, like due to, uh, intellectual property or copywriting or whatever, they can only print, like reprint a certain amount of it or have to take out or move stuff around yeah. but you can tell it's all sourced from the same story and sure enough at the bottom it's like oh via whatever via whatever via whatever yeah. and you trace it all the way back to one story and it's like this is not like this isn't serving any purpose it's just the same story whereas again in the days of the newspapers you had journalists out there who had to go out with their microphones and write their own story you couldn't just yeah google whatever the latest story is and repost from wherever like yeah you had syndicated writers and whatnot but you couldn't just repost someone's story like mm-hmm. it was all original editing again yeah. on the other hand you really only got your news from one source back then too mm-hmm. but i don't know it's kind of there's good and bad about both but yeah trying to cross-reference the story is, is pretty difficult these days yeah so coming from the side of publishing which i'm kind of in now i have like a toe in the the pieces like that the reposts subsidize right the actual journalism now that is the business model it's like we have to write these 20 pieces that people are going to read mm-hmm. and that they are going to click on in order to do actual reporting actual journalism right. like mobile syrup did a story like they did i, I didn't even read it because i don't really care about john mcafee but <laughs> they did a story about how he was going to come work for some canadian security company and he contacted them and was like no i'm not doing that and like they interviewed him and got the actual story but it's like this entire time all they like all newsrooms have been doing is a couple people have been doing reporting at each place like over the course of let's say a week 
reporters do go and report stuff. They do do actual journalism. But in the meantime, while they're working on those pieces, there are a bunch of other writers that are writing reposts of each other's things because that's what pays the bills for yeah. those reporters to actually go out and report. Right. And it's hard too, because you have the other aspect of all this content is generally free. Yeah. So aside from the ad revenue generated, but from, for our purpose and from our perspective, it's all free. Mm-hmm. So you can't really ask for too much because we're not paying 99 cents a paper anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, so you want high quality content, you want original content, but you don't want to pay for it. It's like, that's not, you know, pick two <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, that's right? Not sustainable. So, you know, and when an Apple event happens, I expect, you know, the two or three tech sites that I have on my Facebook or Twitter feed to have stories about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it'd be ridiculous for them not to. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't, I'd have to go and search for it otherwise. And it's like, I'd rather have it pop up in my feed and I can read about it. So, but on the other hand, it's like for them to be able to have that many stories, they can't make them all original content and whatnot, right? So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but I understand why it happens. Mm-hmm. I've heard there's similar there's a similar structure within breweries where people get into you know actually being in a brewery and brewing really interesting beers. They do that so that they can experiment and do really exciting, cutting edge stuff. And then they find out that they're just like 90% of their job is brewing a light, easy drinking lager. And they go, oh, I didn't get into brewing for this. And then, you know, the boss eventually says, listen, you just have to brew lagers all the time because that's what people buy. And that's what keeps you in business. Right. Right. Huh. Yep. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the music industry too, probably. It's like, if you're not making mainstream type music, you're not going to do well. Yeah. 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 I had a really good analogy and then I forgot it like five minutes ago. I was so excited. I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come back to me and then I'll talk about it later. Um, okay. Well, how about uh, we leave fake story, fake news for now. Mike, you, you seem like you re- resurrected, resuscitated <laughs> this Microsoft Teams point that you want to talk about. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was interesting. Maybe interesting is not the right word. I thought it was noteworthy that Microsoft has recognized that people are using tools such as Slack, um, Discord, whatever other apps. River. River, whatever. Um, Basically collaborative communication tools that have dedicated channels for certain topics and whatnot Mm -hmm. um, in their professional and casual environments but specifically professional in the case of of microsoft's product and they released what they're calling microsoft teams which is essentially slack for their office products Mm -hmm. um from just from reading their their blog posts on the product it it sounds essentially exactly like what slack does um, but i think it's kind of more catered to having these chats attached to specific documents and projects like it's not as um just open and flexible like slack might be because you can do the exact same thing in slack you can make a channel for a specific project or you can have it centered around a document whatever you don't have to use this product but they're kind of integrating this microsoft teams product into each document itself so the same way that in google docs they'll have a chat window it sounds like if you have a office 365 word document um it will have a chat attached to that document that can be looked at and used outside of the app as well. But mm-hmm. it all is kind of integrated into 
each product, which I think is kind of cool because we have like at our work, we'll have Excel spreadsheets and Word documents and whatnot that we'll make changes in or or kind of have uh, kind of notes about. So it'd be kind of cool to have like chat attached to each document or at least some kind of log yeah. versus just like comments. Yeah. Because um, comments are like they're useful, but they're kind of hacky in some cases because sometimes you want to make a general comment about the document itself, but you can't really put comment tags attached to the file or, the, or right. that kind of thing. You can't really have that kind of log, but if you have this product, then you can at least kind of have a sort of yeah. log type thing attached to it. So it's, I like the idea of having a dedicated chat or communication tool for office products. But at the same time, I feel like it's just siloing it a lot more versus something that might be more versatile, like Slack. Mm-hmm. that you can do kind of the same thing. You can attach documents to channels and all this kind of stuff and, and have discussions centered around it. You have notes, you have a lot of different tools that you can use. But I guess the idea behind this is for people who don't already use something like Slack or they do, but they don't know how to use it to kind of its full extent. So this makes it a bit easier to access and use if it's kind of in your face when you open the document to say, hey, what do you have to say about this document kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I have been seeing a lot more of these kind of siloed things and they all like the reason that I personally really like using Slack for this is like we've talked about there. You can set up different rooms for different things. You can assign all like all kinds of different team based things. But the most the thing I like the most about it is how not oh, maybe open is not the right word, but I'm going to use the word open anyways, is that they have an app for every platform. They have a way to access... Like an integration. like Well, they have in- integrations too, but I mean, like, you can get it on Windows, you can oh, get it on okay, the web, sure, yeah. you can right. get it on Mac, you yeah. can get it probably on Linux, uh, you can get it on Android, you can get it on iOS. You can access this thing from every platform. Whereas when you have Microsoft Teams, you need Office 365. When you want to use... And, and River does seem like... It's it like since ever since I started talking about Slack a lot on Twitter, I've been seeing River ads pop up because they have <laughs> anyone who talks about Slack gets ads for River. Yeah, uh, they're basically their premise is basically we're like Slack but free, and that's basically it. But it's a lot <laughs> less popular, which is a pretty good selling point. I I don't know how true it actually is though, and I'm not going to have people jump platform for something just because of the that premise because i am familiar with the you get what you pay for thing and so i'm i'm happy with the limited uh like the limitations of slack for free although i accept that that means there are slight downsides but compared to all the other platforms like compared to using google hangouts which we've talked about is basically abandoned um there are new things like I, I set up a, a Facebook Messenger room for Future Chat this week because they debuted that feature in Facebook Messenger. But the the feature only exists on mobile devices. So you can't access these rooms, uh, which are like topic specific Facebook Messenger chat threads that have that happen to have public public links associated with them which I, I really like that concept of because you can have either a public room or you can have a private room that admins have to let you into. But why is it siloed into just mobile devices? Why can't... Like one of the things I love about even like messenger.com, the, my favorite thing about that is that messenger you can access anywhere, but now I can't access it on... Like I can't access it on facebook.com. 
So it's kind of, it's not broken necessarily. It doesn't mean I won't use it, but it is weird that they advertise it as mobile only. Right. Did I tell you guys that we have a, uh, like we, we have a Facebook chat for our, our Pokemon Go group and I asked them cause like we started going off topic of gym talk when gyms kind of went to shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was like, Oh, do you want to like, are we okay having this discussion here? Like we can have a separate chat group for this, whatever. It's like, Oh, I prefer having it all in one. Like, I think something that's like a Slack, like we talked about this before with like Facebook rooms and how it's kind of moving towards being more like Slack where it's a bit more right. collaborative and whatnot. That'd be nice if they just came up with a Slack type product where you could have channels and topics and whatnot. But I think people just aren't naturally inclined to want to use that kind of thing. Right. Like they'd rather just have constant conversation in one thread and have it be a mess. But yeah, that's just the path of least resistance kind of mm-hmm. like e- even for me when I'm in Slack and like usually we'll have like two or three different conversations going between different channels and I kind of feel dumb like going between them sometimes, <laughs> but I'm like, but yeah. it makes sense. It's like they're different conversations. You can kind of come and go between each one. You can focus on one and not the other, but it, you're not losing the other conversation by continuing another. Right. You can always like go back to it and someone who is not participating can go and catch up on all the different conversations and not have to sift through like one constant stream of consciousness to catch up on all the topics. It's it's right. all just kind of segregated out. But yeah, I think people are just naturally inclined to do that. And maybe that's why something like the Microsoft Teams makes the most sense because it's yeah. not as kind of messy to go through. It's like you open up a document and there's a chat thread or I don't even know what the interface looks like, but I'm assuming it's fairly user-friendly like that where you open it up and it has your kind of history or chat log right there dedicated yeah. to each file instead of having to flip between different channels. Right. Um, I will, before we get berated by all our listeners reporting in real-time follow-up, I, I went on messenger.com and facebook.com. It looks like I can see the conversations that I had created in rooms, but there's no way to... It looks like the distinction, at least to me, because... Th- from what I read on Messenger in the app, it seems like you could only view them from in the apps. It seems like you can view them, but you can't create them. There's no interface to create a new room right. from you, off mobile. Can you share a room via the browser too? Like, is yeah. there a link? Okay. There, yeah, there's a link and it, it appears to work just fine. I'll have to do some testing, okay. but it appears to work just fine uh, if you access the link from des- desktop. So mm-hmm. I'm curious about that because that might be a way for me to work the Slack functionality into Messenger where right. for people who don't have not gotten on board with right. Slack. Like just, and it might be a way to get like to just go one platform only or at least re- reduce one platform if it works better than Slack. I might that might be the way to go. I'm not convinced of that yet because there are a lot of things that I really like about Slack yeah. for small groups of people, but for what it's worth, I like the GIF functionality of Facebook Messenger yeah. better than Slack. Oh, I love Slack. that. Yeah. Seems to work a lot better. Mhm. Nick, do you have any thoughts? Sorry, which point? Facebook Messenger? Yeah, what do you think about the idea of having Facebook Messenger channels similar to the way you can have Slack channels where you can actually refer to things by link uh, and you can have things set up with around a topic that you can invite people to that thread? Uh, sounds like Slack. But but it's integrated and you don't, need a ne- you don't necessarily need another new app or to split your... your brain space around communication in a different in another the, way like another the one edge i will give to facebook messenger is they allow the snoozing of conversation notifications for good periods for of time. time yeah 
Yeah. Four hours, eight hours, whatever. Yeah, I like whatever that. the length of time is until my shift ends and I can actually pay attention to my phone right. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to turn it off indefinitely yeah. and then have to remember to turn it back on. Yeah. Or in my case, the, just leave it off out of convenience. <laughs> the thing I do like about Slack in that regard, like there, there, if they both just had the complete feature set of notification preferences, everything would be great, and I'd probably use Messenger. But Slack does have the ability to mute an entire team for set periods of time throughout a day. Like there's no way to set a schedule in messenger for when notifications show up. So for instance, when in my mobile syrup Slack, um, I have it set so that I only receive notifications unless, unless I'm tagged by name, I only receive notifications from like three 30 to 8 PM on weeknights. And so I don't have to, like, I don't get spammed. I get like the, the, the messages just pile up in there and I don't actually see it until three 30 when suddenly if they're talking at 3.30, I'll start seeing them again. But that's the time when I would be possibly doing something for them. So you can't really do that for Facebook Messenger. It's on a thread-by-thread basis. So if you did have a number of different threads with a number of different people, you would see that kind of... If people were talking in different threads, you'd see that spam. Come, I'm calling it spam because it's messages you don't necessarily want at that exact moment. But you would have to turn that off on a thread-by-thread basis instead of being able to go, okay, this group of people mute for now, I'll, I'll come back, but I do like the, the timing thing where you don't necessarily with Slack, you end up missing some messages because you just muted notifications where what you really want is to say like for the next four, eight, 16, 24, 32 hours, I don't want to see anything, but then turn it back on. Like I don't want it indefinite. I want it for right now. There's no perfect message platform. And I just, maybe we should, we should be a startup. We should just like, we'll call it, we'll call it future chat and it will be the next chat platform. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why didn't I think Go it was before? It. Go this for whole, it, just This whole thing has been leading up to this. <gasps> There's an execute at the Pokesoft near me. <laughs> should go get it. Well, isn't that bully for you that you have the nearby tracker? I don't have the nearby tracker. It's amazing. It, it's pretty I great. Caught, like eight hour one day, just going the western Pocus half of Ontario. <sighs> yeah, that's what about southern Ontario, like Ottawa. It's where all the people are, Rob. Sorry, it is great. For hopefully, I'll have it by next week. But uh, I won't. But okay. In, <laughs> in the meantime, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Future Chat. We'll be back next week with more science and tech talk. And you can head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat for past episodes and more. See you next week. Bye, guys. Ciao.